Welcome to the Wichita Catholic Podcast. Here I got to sit down with Father Jared Lease, the pastor of St. Francis of Assisi Parish in Wichita, who recently finished his licentiate degree, and he wrote his thesis on stewardship. And so here we speak about the theology of stewardship, how to live it practically, and kind of where the diocese is going with stewardship into the future. And so hopefully this will help us to embrace the stewardship way of life and live it more fully. Enjoy. Thank you for sitting down and uh, having this conversation with me. You just recently received your degree. Uh-huh. Can you explain exactly what that was? Sure. So it's a license in sacred theology for the new evangelization. Um, and so I got it through Sacred Heart in Detroit. It was a wonderful program. Uh, very high caliber professors, uh, Dr. Ralph Martin, Mary Healy, Janet Smith, um, Father McDermott, Mike McDermott, uh, Peter Williamson, um, uh, and it goes on from there. Um, all of them highly published authors and really uh, active in today's modern church. Uh, it's been a wonderful thing. And so to be able to be there and get that, that, that program was a wonderful thing. And so um, some people ask what a license is. Um, a license is a type of sacred um, a degree that allows uh, for greater presence of theologians and teachers in seminaries. And so it's, uh, whereas a doctorate is a research degree, a license is a, um, a, is a, a teaching degree. And so it doesn't have the same research expectations as a doctor does. Okay. So you said it's in the new evangelization. Correct. So then you wrote your thesis on stewardship. What might, what would be the connection there between? Really was, it was actually an intersection between stewardship and evangelization. So it was thinking critically in modern circumstances about the tradition that we have of stewardship in Wichita and putting it into context of, you know, later writings of John Paul II, Pope Benedict, Pope Francis and, and the like. And so really connecting the new evangelization, which by definition reaches out to those Catholics who have lost their faith. So it's the specific specific population of people of really re-evangelizing those who once had a practice or have been in contact with the Catholic faith but have lost it. And so basically looking at how the life of stewardship can create a context of welcome and openness so that people can come back to the faith and joyful, a joyful experience of, of, of reconciliation. And uh, I guess you, you kind of then looked at all of stewardship, the history of it and kind of the principles of it, just maybe going off of the new evangelization part, do you see uh, stewardship in the Diocese of Wichita, the way we live it, as a, is a effective tool, tool is not the right word, but tool for the new evangelization? You know, um, it is, it is, I wouldn't say a tool for the new evangelization. I would say that it's an, uh, a necessary element of a fully functioning parish. Um, and so stewardship is the way in people people are able to offer their time, talent, and treasure for the sake and for the benefit of the of their souls and the souls of the people of God. You know, so it's a, a matter of being a part of a joyful family. And so, <laughs> whenever you look at stewardship and evangelization, the two concepts refer to two things, but they're not mutually exclusive concepts. And you also have to ask the question, too, even what, what do you consider evangelization? What are you referring to by the word evangelization? Um, 
in the same way people ask, well, what are you referring to by the word stewardship? And so it's by, by making sure that you have a clear understanding of your definitions, that you can understand how they function within the parish situation. So evangelization um, basically is every activity in the entire Catholic Church, you know, and so evangelization is the reason why the Catholic Church lives. Well, with that broad of a definition, then stewardship is just an element of evangelization. You know, it's it's a one one part of a fully functioning parish um, and the church universal. But by being so broad with evangelization, um, it, it doesn't help us. Um, ask specific questions whenever it comes to things like new evangelization and things like that. Certainly you have to have a good liturgy and good music and you have to have good catechesis and adult education and youth ministry and, and all those parts. So how does it all function together? Whenever I think of evangelization, I kind of take a more directed approach to evangelization. And that's, that's that part of the church, the work of the church that shares the message of the gospel with those who, who either have heard it and forgotten or those who need to hear it. So it's not just simply the entirety of the life of the church, which liturgy has a part of that and catechesis has a part of that, but it's the specific part that's more like the throwing of a net. It's it's the going out. It's the explanation. It's intentionality in a popularized way of using the word evangelization. It's like whenever you ask the normal Catholic, what, are you, do you evangelize? Well, they're not thinking about the church's liturgy or about catechesis. They're thinking about having a conversation with someone about faith that may not know something about faith, you know, or inviting people into faith. And so underneath that context, for myself, whenever I think of it that way, evangelization actually has an external outlook. It's it's the public face of the church. It's the way in which the people of God are able to go with the people of the world and say, this is a, an opportunity that we have in faith, that Jesus Christ has come, saved us from our sins, uh, God, because he loves us and, and restores us by his, his life, death, and resurrection. Well, that's an outward movement that's that's bringing people in um, stewardship because it has to do with the life of the people of God the life of the people of God which certainly would include evangelization because we're all supposed to be evangelizers it takes on a characteristic of a little more interior experience to the church or to parish life you know whenever you refer to steward a popular concept is how are you functioning inside your parish life now, again, a steward should be an evangelizer, an evangelizer should be a steward, but we're talking about popular concepts. In popular language, evangelization has sort of an external approach, stewardship has sort of an internal approach. And for myself, um, in the analogy of throwing a net, uh, the, the idea of stewardship is having a place within the family, the people of God, to where people feel accepted and belong for who they are, are able to share their gifts, talents, and charisms with one another, and as a lived part of their, their gospel life, to be cared for by the community in times of crisis and rejoiced with in times of joy. But the evangelization brings people into this functioning family so that everybody then can feel welcome into that family and then find a new place in that family as well. So stewardship has a, a uh, the characteristics of what St. Paul says, help carry one another's burdens as well as carry your own burdens. He says two different things in two different parts about that. But stewardship is the way we carry one another's burdens and we carry our own burdens for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Evangelization is inviting people into that way of life. And then another, I guess another word that comes up when we kind of talk about stewardship is discipleship and like being a disciple, being a steward. Are they these connected terms are they um i mean you, you did kind of touch on that already but yeah um, how would you maybe 
describe the interplay of stewardship and just being a disciple of Christ. Sure, sure. And I would even throw in there, too, the interplay of stewardship, evangelization, and discipleship. So okay. what's, what are all the three? Yeah. Well, the subject is the disciple. So that's the person. And that's, that's, that's the subject of God's love. That's the subject of God's salvation. Um, and it's the point. The point of the entire life of the Catholic faith is to make his disciples of Jesus Christ so that through him we can have salvation of our soul and invite other people into that salvation. Um, and so whenever it comes to the concept of discipleship, stewardship and evangelization are, are operations of a disciple. So these are the way disciples operate. Disciples and identity. I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and that identity forms who I am in my greatest depth. St. Paul says, I am who I am. You know, for the grace of God, I am who I am. Well, what does he mean by that? He means that he's a redeemed person who, even though he is a sinner, if you even see it in the context of that scripture passage, has his identity in Christ such that everything he does is in collaboration with him and reveals him in some way. Well, whenever it becomes stewardship, <clears throat> stewardship is to discipleship what going to the gym is to gym membership. So you can be a gym, a member of a gym. You can be a member of YMCA or Genesis and never go. That doesn't mean the gym is in any way useful. Stewardship is the active element of being a disciple. So it's the faith and works combination that St. James talks about. Disciples believe in Jesus Christ, and because they believe in Jesus Christ, they live as Jesus Christ lives. The life of Jesus Christ is the work. The work first in liturgy, liturga, the, the divine work of God, the prayer that could brings us into the element of individual as well as communal prayer. But then beyond that work, it goes into the, the gifts and the sharing of charisms on behalf of one another um, as, as generous distributed as God's grace, right? And so um, stewardship relationship to, to discipleship is, uh, discipleship is the way in which we're a member of the body of Christ. Stewardship is the way in which we function as a member of the body of Christ. And evangelization, you can say the same thing about evangelization too, because members of a body share their love with one another, you know, not only their work, but also their love. And evangelization is sharing the love of Christ with other people in a convincing manner um, in that way. Another way that, that I conceive of the relationship between discipleship and stewardship is the difference between married love and um, uh, family love. So whenever it comes to married love, a husband loves his wife with a love that's different than a, a dad loves his children. They're mutually nested. They're, they're, they're interdependent of one another. They're, they're, not, they're not separate loves, but they are different types of love. So whenever we look at a husband's love for his wife that includes the entire gift of self, mind, body, soul, the entire gift of affection and psychology and shared life and perspective and, and the dance that is marriage, well, you find a particular gift of self to your spouse in which your identity is wrapped up. And out of that connection comes the family that then shares this family love, filial love, rather than um uh, conjugal love, that filial love that belongs between children and spouses and, and, and parents and, and the like. So <clears throat> whenever you look at discipleship, discipleship is, is, is a, almost a conjugal type of love with the Lord. We are in a unique self-gift to the Lord who has given himself to us in a unique way, to where I am committed and beholden to him in faithfulness and fidelity and fruitfulness and, and in consistent constancy with the Lord. And so my, the way I give myself to Jesus Christ as a disciple is not the same way I give myself to the family that is the body of Christ. 
in the same way that a child's love for his father was never be the same as that child's love for their future spouse. You can't have them without one another. They're mutually referent. But stewardship then becomes the way in which we share love with the family. It's the way in which we, we function within the family. So whenever I grew up, you know, my mom and dad loved one another. Out of that love came our family. And whenever that family came to bear, not only was I called to love my brothers and, and love my parents, but I was also called to act on behalf of my parents, you know. And so acting on behalf of my parents was chores. You know, I did chores. I, I was supposed to feed the dog, take out the trash, mow the lawn. It was all part of the functioning of the household. That's my responsibility. Well, whenever you bring Christians together, you know, just pretend for a second that you have a, a Catholic community with no buildings, none, zero buildings. Could you still have mass? Yeah, you could. But once you put 50 Catholics in a spot and you do that every Sunday or every day, those Catholics are going to sit and say, we need a building. Yeah. Stewardship has immediately happened from the very necessity of a shared celebration. And so it's just simply the way the, the, the community functions on behalf of one another as a family type of love. Yeah. So Wichita has been kind of, um, I don't know how you put it, maybe emphasizing stewardship, but living kind of the United Catholic stewardship uh, diocesan-wide for 35 years, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, I guess what 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 makes that emphasis different than than other places? Like what I guess you know, what what do we do different than other dioceses or other places that have elements of stewardship but maybe don't live quite the way we do? You know, it's a hard that's a, that's a really hard question to pin down. You know, um, the first thing that you have to sit there and say is that for whatever reason God allowed this to happen in Wichita, and lucky for us. You know, nothing without divine choice. You know, it's not like there was anybody in Wichita that was particularly intelligent of anybody else in the entire world, you know. And it's like what, what you know, uh, God said of the Israelites. It's not because you're the smartest of people or the strongest of people, but I peculiarly set you apart, right? Yeah. And so the first thing that we have to do is, is just be humble by the fact that we have something here that is a beautiful thing, that people have cooperated with the Holy Spirit to be able to give us a heritage now that people know about. So it starts with humility. We've received something, now we're responsible for something. So we got to be careful of, of being too, too, um, uh, one is, you know, what's the source of it all? Well, it's the Holy Spirit, period. Sure. Now, what happened in Wichita and sort of why, why is there? You got to look too at some of the practicalities. Um, the first thing that's kind of a practical thing um, was people's need and the necessity at the time. That whenever Monsignor McGreed started that here at St. Francis, literally it's 50 years ago this year that he oh. started that, um, you know, he presented people uh, something that was very attractive, you know, and in a certain sense, it was it was simple mathematics. He said, look, if you give 5% of your paycheck rather than paying a tithe or, or paying a tuition, you know, and you tithe then that means that we're going to be able to pay for your children to go and you won't have to pay tuition. Well, a person with any sense at all would understand that 5% was significantly less than the tuition for three or four kids. So heck yeah, they're like onboard us, you know? (laughs) Well, there was an incredible motivation behind that. And because of that, people had an immediate buy-in. And the community at large then also started to commit to then the more the more genuine 
source of stewardship, that more genuine source of stewardship is we're all responsible for the formation of everybody in here. It's not adults or children. It's not that we're providing a Catholic education for kids. It's everybody is responsible for the education of everyone. And so adult Bible studies happen here and, and prayer groups are, you know, multiply here very quickly and things like that. Well, once you move beyond the immediacy of the financial benefit, then you moved into the spirituality as a foregone conclusion, which is then the only thing that's going to be able to sustain stewardship from here on out. It's the only thing. So whenever you look then at the Diocese of Wichita Hull, you know, United Catholic Stewardship is that part where we're all committed to this as an entire diocese. You have to take in some practicalities to that as well. Um, one of them is, is that, you know, whenever it comes to the, the, that, that close connection between stewardship and the starting, the funding of Catholic schools at the beginning, we don't have any Jesuit schools, any Redemptorist schools, any other. All of our Catholic schools are all diocesan schools. Well, you could, you could have imagined United Catholic Stewardship starting and then a Jesuit school saying, well, what about us? So when you look at all the dioceses throughout the nations, you know, you have some very practical blocks. I'm not saying it's, it's, you know, insurmountable, but we don't have to have that conversation here in the Diocese of Wichita. It's like, well, how are we going to, you know, let this be a relationship with a Redemptor school or a Jesuit school or the like? Um, the environment, people who are willing to listen, bishops who are willing to take a hit for it, priests who are willing to risk it, um, and a, pr- a presbyter that's willing to support one another. Um, by no means was every priest on board, and it took a long time for most priests to get on board, and still some aren't. They, they still don't really see it as a viable option, um, which I, I, I personally disagree with because I see the fruit of it. Um, you know, and so there are so many unknown factors that the will of God just put them all into the same spot that we got chosen for this. But what happens now is to identify the factors that are there that support it and then make sure that we support those factors from here on out. Mm-hmm. Uh, factors like an educated laity, um, a, a priests who have the idea, the vision and who are bought in on it. Um, what needs to happen now more than in history past is is real accountability. Um, because people have lost that sense of immediate benefit that we had 35 or 50 years ago. A person who now, because we've had this in the, in, in, in the, the church now for, you know, in Wichita for 35 years, well, that means most parents, young parents, don't even remember the fact that stewardship started in the diocese. And they sometimes see that as sort of a, like, well, they go to public schools for free, so we should go to Catholic schools for free. Like, it just comes out of nowhere. Well, without them engaging in the message and without them understanding the great benefit that there is, without them being able to understand, no, this is this is something that's provided by this community and by no government subsidy whatsoever. And the only way it works is by your buy-in. That means accountability has to be more part now to help people understand. So the buy-in isn't as immediate as it once was. Well, by buy-in, what I mean is the active life of discipleship in the community that helps support you and your children in education and faith. If you're not willing to get into that system, then you're not able to help also support others who are in that system as well. Um, and so as you look forward to the future, then um, those are going to be some of the elements that we'll have to, to continue on forward. Remembering, the church could have no money and we would still educate people. We need to remember stewardship isn't tied to, to money. Money's a part of it, and money helps support the mission. But if I'm if I'm on a camping trip and there's no building, I'm still going to 
celebrate mass. You know, if, if, if our buildings burn down, we're still going to learn. Will we be hampered? Of course. But we need, we need to make sure that the, the focus is on the gospel being preached and shared and people taking their part of sharing that gospel um, as lay faithful as well as religious and clergy. So, um, he's kind of yeah, going from there. The, uh, um, you said it took a little time for United Catholic Stewardship to kind of really be accepted by all the priests in different parishes, and mm-hmm. maybe it's still not fully is now fully accepted now. But how do you think? Or how can you put it? How how is the diocese doing with stewardship? Or like, it's not. If you were to like, is it is it still getting better? Is it kind of maybe running into a rough spot after 35 years? You kind of mentioned this new generation that might um, take it for granted. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, my answer to this is opinion, uh, you know, and it's my own personal opinion. And so I, I wouldn't want to answer this question to the detriment of any other pastor's view on it or or where they think. But I do believe that what's happened in the Diocese of Wichita is we've plateaued. Um, and by saying that, I think that what happened was, you know, the excitement of stewardship whenever it started 35 years ago saw this incredible immediate growth. And you can, you can see that by numbers of people entering our CIA, the number of adoration chapels that started to go, the increase in confessions, um, the increase in mass times around the diocese of Wichita, but also the increase of uh, finances. You know, the, the, the diocese can, can give you a history, a bell curve history of, of all of that. And I think what, what happened was people in the early years of stewardship was able to see that comparative success and success builds on success. You know, when, when you're on a roll, you know, it's easy to keep the energy going and you're seeing the growth and everything else like that. I'm afraid, and I, I'm more than happy to be wrong on this, but I'm afraid that what's happened is, again, since people have seen this now as a normal phrase of life, then we kind of plateaued like we did prior to even having the stewardship way of life. So, for example, our set, our expectations was a certain level before Stewardship Way of Life. This is sort of what a parish brings in, and it seemed kind of crazy that this Irish priest would make it happen in this church. And, you know, what a risk. I mean, I couldn't imagine. I could not imagine making that risk, you know, sitting there saying, hey, all right, we're just taking this on faith and we're doing it. Which is, again, why the Holy Spirit had to be behind it, because, I mean, it's a huge risk to, to just sit there and say, we're going to start funding this. And if you just do this, then we're going to trust you're going to do it. Yeah. Well, there was a plateau in that. And, and we had to go all in, you know, and so Bishop Gerber was very, very clear that, you know, you have to make sure that people understand that we're not nickel and diamond them, that we have to come through the basket, that this is about the tithe, and you have to be cautious about multiplying the sources of income in order to offset parish operational costs, whatever else, and you need to really give the spirit of tithing to the people of God so that they can understand it's a joyful response of gratitude, not an exaction, as St. Paul says. He doesn't want our, our, our gift to be an exaction, but he wants it to be a joyful gift because God loves a joyful, joyful giver. So with the excitement and all the role and all the movement and with it moving throughout the, the diocese for those 25 years, the 30 years, you know, I mean, just the there is a more immediate understanding of its benefit. And now because it's become normalized, I'm afraid the plateau effect is just simply people not understanding the great benefit of it. And what I'm afraid for for priests is that they go back to skepticism, that we've stretched it too far. 
We've done too much. There's not more to give. If we try any more, then people are going to get angry at us. But I think that if we looked historically, I would wonder if the same anticip- the same concerns, fears, were there at the beginning with priests who said, this is never going to work. Yeah. You know, and, and they bowed out. They're like, Bishop Gerber, thanks for the idea, but you know what? I'm going to run my parish my own way. And I'm afraid that brother priests might might be able to say, you know what, we've just taken it too far. You know, we can't go further, which means it's a new moment of faith for us. And I'm afraid that some of the practices of stewardship are, are suffering. And I I mean the the sheer multiplication that we now have of fundraisers throughout the entire diocese. I mean you can't you can't walk anymore now. And that was that was something that Bishop Gerber, you know, shied away from. Yeah. At the same time, he didn't have a complete embargo on that. So I wanna yeah. I wanna I wanna be cautious about being too black and white on that because there are some ways, some areas, some concepts of, of fundraising that, that fit within the stewardship model. But I believe that it's being stretched way too far and too many people are finding too many excuses and it's going to start causing the nickel and diming effect and people giving because they've received some kind of benefit or enjoyment or something like that. Yeah. Is there like a, a right way to do fundraising or principles to follow in fundraising under stewardship, the way we do it. Um, and then wrong ways. I don't know. Um, I'll give you some of my thoughts on that. Um, you, there, there are some things in my, my text that you will be a little bit more clear than what, what I can just give off the top of my head. But number one, um, people sometimes need a buy-in, you know, for people to feel committed, you know, we're, like for wheel or for well, we're in a consumeristic society. We people see themselves as consumers before they see themselves as disciples. It's like if I'm not buying something, then there's something wrong with me. And because of that, people in our society have a psychology that unless you buy it, then it's not really that valuable. So if you have two courses and one course you buy and the other course is the exact same course and you don't buy, some people will actually buy the course because they feel as though by buying it that either there's a greater commitment to themselves to it or that there's some give more credence behind it, you know? Yeah. Well, whenever it comes to um, different experiences on a, on a campus, on a parish campus, different events on a parish campus or what I want to say um, uh, outreaches on a parish campus, it, there, there is truth that whenever you put money into something, you have a commitment to that something that you're showing your commitment, you're showing your support that there, there is a, a, a personal participation in the good of this thing mm-hmm. beyond which means that you're also learning about the, the message and the mission of that thing that you're supporting. Um, and so one of the criticisms for the diocese of Wichita is since we don't participate in the same way in the national collections, there's 14 national yeah. collections every year that the people in the diocese of Wichita, and your reaction there, yeah. they don't, don't know, know about that. these things, right? <laughs> well, the, the national church is kind of like, well, how are you educating your people on all of these different national collections that everybody else does? In a certain sense, you can say the same thing in, in, a, in a church, you know there's a way for us to be able to support the mission and identity of things that are going on. Some, some clarifications for the stewardship way of life is number one, you never want to create an environment where people are nickel and diming because in that, that leads to giving exhaustion. Number two, if people start to offset their tithe by thinking by giving to a fundraiser, they've already given financially, then that has compromised their soul. Because giving 10% is a part of our moral obligation to the, to the Lord, not giving to a fundraiser. 
And so we have to understand that there's a spirituality behind the, the shared gift of treasure in these particular things. Number three, if your if your fundraising is offsetting operational costs or the normal experiences of of parish ministry, then you're actually looking at a parish that's that's been is is trying to make up for lost time or maybe is you know running with a limp so to speak. Normal operating costs really need to be coming through the tithe because then what you're doing is you're no longer supporting a mission or ministry. You're supporting you know the operational you know realities of this. Uh, of a parish and there's there's more that i i couldn't call off the top of my head but those are some of the principles there um, for myself as a pastor um i i am i am completely averted uh, to the idea of doing any sense of major fundraising but we do have boy scouts that do their pancake feed and girl scouts that do their spaghetti feed and we have the little flowers who do who do some some things as well well those are ways for kids to participate in a way for parents and grandparents and things like that to give joyfully to it you know but but in no way does that compromise the overall sense that I'm not you know somehow I gave to the boy scouts so I'm not giving here or you know those kind of things another thing i think uh, you wrote, and I don't know if I'm, I'm going to quote it perfectly, but uh, as goes adult education, so goes stewardship. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Could you explain that a little yeah, bit? Yeah. 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 Well, if, if you're not educating your adults, then you're losing the entire mission of the church. Uh, it, it, God has entrusted the mission of, of the gospel to every individual soul, no matter how old or how young. But if those who are who are responsible um, for the education and formation of youth, um, then th- who are themselves not formed and educated, then we have hampered the education of youth itself. And you can't you cannot you can't buy enough catechists to to preach the gospel. It's not ha- it's not going to happen. And so, the other thing is is youth youths look toward adults, no matter what adults think. And an articulate and educated adult who can speak and be inspiring, a, a, a pious and devout adult who knows what prayer is and the spirit of prayer, they become either spoken or unspoken heroes in these kids' minds. And the intelligence that you raise among your adults raises the bar also for, for all the children underneath them. And so the church is always very clear that that as adult education goes, so goes education in general. And it, it applies the same to the stewardship way of life. Whenever adults are stewards, children just see that as the normal environment. You know, um, it's kind of like a, a Catholic from Wichita who's never lived anywhere else and then goes to another church and realizes they have to pay tuition for school. They're like, I never even knew this existed, you know. But what they what they also understand is they go to other dioceses and it's like, well, where's your adoration chapel? What do you mean you don't have an adoration chapel? You know, every church in Wichita has an adoration chapel. You know, it's what you do. And so, so basically what happens is the environment of adult education creates a world in which children are formed in that both intelligently as well as through, through um, observation. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and then another thing you kind of say, it, you say at the beginning of your thesis and at the end is that the thing we already kind of talked on, but the uh, stewardship's in a new generation and it needs a new, I don't know you say, like presentation, a new um way of presenting it to this new generation what are your thoughts on kind of what is that new presentation how do we uh reframe it or or represent it yeah 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 i think that it needs to be presented not in terms of of benefit for an individual um first of all stewardship is not a way of funding catholic education 
that that's the first thing that's got to go. Stewardship is the life of a disciple who's caring for the people of God. And so if we, if we see stewardship as a way to get something, then we have this give, get mentality that I'm going to give and I get. So as long as I give my time, then I'm going to get the education for my child. As long as give, get, give, get, which is not, that there's no holiness in that thought whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> holiness is I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And being disciples together, we care for one another. We carry one another's burdens. That's stewardship. That's what stewardship is. If we think stewardship is another form of consumer, consumer commerce, then we've destroyed it. So part of, part of the salvation of stewardship is making sure that we connect it to discipleship and, and in discipleship, making sure that they understand it's simply the way we carry one another's burdens in sharing the gospel. And I think the second thing that we need to do to be able to save stewardship and, and, and its understanding is make sure that it's got an explicit and clear connection to evangelization uh, in the particular sense that I was talking about and in the specific new evangelization as well, that we cannot be inward-focused people. We can't be navel gazers. Whenever it comes to the church, God did not establish the church so that we can become our insular little communities to ourselves. God established the church so that the gospel can be preached in every part of every uh, of the world. And this parish has this parish boundaries to preach that, which means that stewardship is alive only to the degree that we bring to people this great gospel message and invite them into the life of a parish. And so the success of stewardship the clear indicators of success of stewardship, whenever you know you have a stewardship parish, is number one, whenever mass attendance goes up, number two, when adoration attendance goes up, number three, whenever vocations go up, and number four is whenever you have more people entering RCIA. Oh, and number five is adult education. If you have if you have strong adult education, you can include youth education and things like that, but adult education specifically. Those are stewardship parishes. Yeah. And so you've written this thesis and you know, produced it as a book and, and given it out. What, uh, I guess, what do you see maybe as your role in studying this deeply and, and producing this work and moving forward the, the stewardship program in our diocese or sure. further? I don't know. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of funny writing a book. Um, well, truly it's really not a book. It's a thesis. I wrote a thesis and then I, I copied it and send it out to people, right? Um, it's not like it's from a published author. It's self-published. Um, but beyond that, you know, the point, uh, I, I am an extemporaneous speaker. Um, I'm a preacher and a teacher, and I've never really fancied myself to be a writer. So I, I can only hope that my writing is such that people find it engaging enough to get through. My hope for this particular book, um, two primary uh, desires. Number one was to have a single source summary of all the information in the Diocese of Wichita that we've published in pamphlets or in flyers or in handouts or in talks or in um, uh, homilies. I, I, I did as much research as I could to get as many written materials, um, uh, policies, procedures, handbooks, all that stuff in the diocese, and I compiled them all. And then I, I, I basically tried to reorganize all that into a single source summary. So that's my hope, is that it's a single source summary of of the, the published materials that the Diocese of Wichita has handed on. Number two is most of the books that are written right now on stewardship, um, popular books that are written on stewardship, have a lot to do with parish functioning and have a lot to do with with um, uh, sort of the... And I, I don't want to dinner. There's a lot of really good books out there um, on stewardship, and, the, and I'm not trying to 
cast a general pall over it. But for the most part, they're more practical guides to how to do it in your parish. There's, there's a practical edge to it. And what I wanted to do in this particular book here was not talk about the practical, but talk about the theological, the spiritual, and the pastoral, um, and scriptural. So that's really, it's really supposed to be a more intellectual approach to it. Um, my hope is that this really works well with the, the bishop's documents on, on stewardship um, that was published uh, back in 1999, um, which is still a phenomenal book. But my, I hope that this is a corollary, that it uses more um, theological uh, languages, sources uh, that, that are keep it in that spirituality of stewardship and scriptural and theological understanding of stewardship. Yeah. So one thing that kind of struck me as I've been reflecting on stewardship more as a, as a priest actually in a parish and, uh, and living it in this, you know, back in the diocese. Um, and then in reading your thesis was the uh, kind of elements of Catholic social teaching that um, stewardship embodies. It's almost, I guess my question to myself was, is it, is it almost like an emphasis on the third way that, you know, the church wants that, you know, not hyper individualism, not like total socialism or community but like there's this this parish where um you know people have their private property but they still contribute to the parish and that of course benefits everybody so there's kind of this mutual place but there's still the private element and you take care of the poor through the parish and education and um so you see i don't know elements of solidarity there and that almost universal destination of goods and common good um and then even subsidiarity because it's not all the diocese it's local community local parish taking care of its own. Um, yeah, so I guess certainly you didn't say Catholic social teaching, but you know, you mentioned solidarity and some of those things. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is there, have you had any thought about it? Connecting with some of those principles of Catholic social teaching and stewardship being the right living out of sure what the church sure. says. Well, I, I, first of all, remember what Catholic social teaching is. Every human individual is the subject of the gospel, and every human individual has the right to either accept or reject the gospel, period. It doesn't matter who that individual is. Um, as Paul VI says, we're called to propose the truth and not impose the truth. Yeah. Serafina, stop. Hey, stop. No more. So Paul VI said, you know, we were called to propose, not impose the truth. And whenever you realize that every human individual has the right to hear the gospel and is the subject of God's love. That means that as Christians, when an individual presents himself to the church, we meet that, that person where they are at. Social teaching meets societies in the same way that the church meets individuals, that every individual society also has that every individual group of people or self-identified group of people also has that. The question at root in the Catholic social teaching is how do we serve? That's, that's the root. That's the, how do we serve these people? You know, it's not a matter of we're right, you're wrong. That's not what the church is about. The matter is you're a subject of God's love and we're going to love you. And we're going to love you in the concrete circumstances of where you are at. And I'm thinking of all sorts of variety of things, not only poverty, but also um, identity issues and psychological challenges and broken families or, or um, you know, impoverished persons or the wealthy who have isolated themselves in castles of isolation. Um, you know, how does the church reach those persons and see every person as a subject of God's love who has the right to hear the gospel and the right to be cared for? Now, 
whenever you start turning that into policies and procedures and, and outcomes and things like that, you know, that's starting to get into the governmental political f- framework. In a parish, though, everyone who comes to our door is someone who's the subject of God's love, and we have the ability to offer care for them. So whenever it comes to the parish operations for how do we have outreach to the poor, are we able to provide food for people, um, Catholic education is itself a form of social justice, um, uh, making sure that children who aren't in Catholic schools are being educated and have a, have a place that they feel as though is their parish, not that there's somehow this attachment to this other place where everybody else really goes to church. Mm-hmm. And so all those things are part of social justice, um, beyond which, whenever you look at um, on a practical side of Catholic education and the benefit of Catholic education um, as finding its funding through the normal giving of a parish population, that means that it, Catholic education isn't for a particular sector of society who can afford it. You know, I'm not going to say the wealthy because there's a lot of persons who put themselves out severely so that their children can have a Catholic education. But in the Diocese of Wichita, because those persons who would otherwise be able to do it or would be too compromised to be able to do it at a cost to themselves, we have a larger uh, breadth of, of, of socioeconomic and racial um, uh, participation in our schools than anywhere else. And so the way in which the church serves also then allows more people to be reached uh, through that generosity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I guess for, you know, if you were to speak to the individual steward, maybe just just me as as a Christian disciple trying to live uh, the stewardship way of life better or to the to the full. Um, I don't know what what would be your advice to me or to an individual steward of how to kind of uh, dive more deeply into the stewardship way of life uh, to truly embrace it to make it you know, help my vocation, help my being a disciple. Yeah, um, yeah. The first the first yeah. question I'd have to ask is who are you listening to. Who are you listening to? And this is a question not of active listening. This is a question of of, of even uh, cultural programming. Um, who who are you listening to? What values have formed your values? Because if you're listening to Jesus Christ and you're living according to the values of Jesus Christ, those are not the values of the world. And even in my own life right now, I've been convicted in various different ways in which I have bought into values that I'm trying to undo and we start we start thinking that we can't live without 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 and we start thinking that there's only one way of doing things and what begins happening is our cultural conditioning has so programmed us to the expectation of how we're supposed to function that sometimes trusting the gospel's hard jesus lived poor chaste and obedient and we can live poor chaste and obedient according to our vocations and the necessity of our vocation but if our cultural conditioning is causing us to listen to the Joneses that are next to us or to the commercials that we've exposed ourselves to or to the ideas that I have to have a certain amount of property or a certain amount of things or that I have to have stuff and stuff and stuff, then we're, we're shaping ourselves according to values that are not those of Jesus Christ. The values of Jesus Christ are the love of God, the love of neighbor, and the love of self. And you, you care for yourself such that you can be a generous gift both to God and neighbor. And whenever you do that, then it's okay for you to to let go of the values of the world. Mm-hmm. You gotta you gotta ask yourself the question: What's conditioning me? Yeah, Seraphina, stop. Well, yeah. Well, thank you for your time. You're welcome. I super appreciate it, and you're you're a wealth of knowledge on this, and I'm happy to, help to out. see how this this your, your thesis will help us carry 
Sue Chibon for another 35, 50 so, years. So. Well, and if anybody's listening to this, I'm going to be giving a stewardship conference in June. So it's at the Spiritual Life Center. So if they want to oh, contact right. the Spiritual Life Center for that, that'll be great. Cool. Okay. Great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks, Adam.